We are beginning a series today uh, in, on the Ten Commandments. Last week, we had a uh, somewhat of an overview of the Ten Commandments. If you missed it, it should be online and you can catch up. I think it's, a, uh, it's an important uh, sermon just in that it shows us how we should think about the Ten Commandments. And today we get into the First Commandment. And that is this simple song that we sang that God is God alone. So turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand and someone will give it to you. We encourage you to be following along in a Bible today. If you have your own Exodus chapter 20. I think I hear some additional pages turning today, Andrea. How about that? (laughs) Exodus chapter 20. It had to be here last week, I guess. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You open up this first commandment to us today. Help us to see Your truth. Help us to come to understand the many ways that we have turned from You and embraced foreign and false gods. And may we fall on our faces today and may we change. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in a polytheistic society. Polytheism is defined as the worship and belief of multiple deities assembled into a pantheon of gods and goddesses along with its own religions and rituals. Now we in the United States of America, I want you to understand, are a polytheistic society. Now we're pretty low-key about it. In America, we typically don't call our gods, gods. We typically don't have elaborate rituals, at least rituals that look like old religion. Yet we have gods, nonetheless. We have rituals, nonetheless. If we're going to ask ourselves, what is a false god? By determining the answer to this question, by whose standard are you living? Well, then we can easily begin to understand that we have multiple standards of life, multiple laws that we follow. Therefore, we have multiple deities, multiple gods that we bow down and worship. If an alien were to come to our land, and we're to try to determine what it is that we worship, what would this alien discover? If they were to go back and report on their visit to Earth, specifically they went to the city, Baltimore, Maryland, and they were going to report back to their alien world, this is, these are the gods that they serve. What would be our gods? What are we devoted to? 
Well, they would certainly say that there is remnant of some kind of old religion because there's church buildings with crosses. But a lot of those buildings seem to be emptied or filled with a message that has nothing to do with the old message. A lot of those buildings have been turned into museums. I just read of one in Baltimore, a church. The headlines was a church that is saved. And then as I read about it, what I discovered was was that it was a building that was emptied, and the building was saved and turned into a museum. There wasn't no church saved there. By whose standard are we living? You know, the last couple weeks we've been seeing a lot of debates around this idea of being transgendered. Born with one sex and at some point a determination that I'm not that sex. This last week we've seen debates around transracial identity as a white woman has identified herself as black and has worked her way up to be the president of the NAACP Spokane chapter, I believe. By whose standard are we living? As we turn on the television, if we were to to try to understand the gods that we serve by looking at the TV, we would walk away thinking that we serve gods of beauty, men with muscular bodies, women with fit, chiseled bodies. These are the gods that we serve, right? Or maybe the gods of food. What are the gods that we serve? And what would this alien report if he were to go back to his, country, his world? Now, God in His grace gave us a law. God in His grace gave us a moral law, and He said this is the standard by which we live. Now, as Christians, we have a worldview which begins and ends with a Creator God. This is a God that created the world. Now, if you are an artist, you know that if you create something that you know this piece more than anyone else. How it's to function, how it's to operate, what it's to do. We believe that the Creator God created the world and knows what it means to thrive in this world. Knows what it means to live in this world. Yet we also believe that Romans 1 is true and that humans broke away from this Creator God and we said we don't like his standard. We don't like the way that he has showed us how to live, and so therefore we are going to go our own way, worship instead of the creator, we're going to worship the created. And that's ourselves. And in this world, God gave us a law. His law says this is life. This is the line of love. This is what it looks like to love the creator God. This is what it looks like to love fellow man. And so jumping right into it this morning, we are looking at God's moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is this in verse 3. You see it in your Bibles. You shall have no other gods before me. 
Now, the first question we need to ask this morning is, why is that written in the negative? Notice that God doesn't say, you shall have me as your only God. But he actually puts it in the negative. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Why is that? Well, it's because God is confronting the culture of the day, the polytheism of the day. And God is saying, this is the way in which you must live, and there must be a radical, complete change. The world in which the ancients lived was a full-blown, outright polytheistic society. Like today, we have to look very hard to understand what our gods are. In the ancient world, polytheism was everywhere. So they had a god for the sun. They had a god for the weather. They had a god for childbearing. They had a god for happiness. You name it, there was a god behind it. Now, in this world, sacrifices and rituals, depending on the the land and the culture and the country in which you lived, sacrifices and rituals were demanded for all of these gods. Because if you don't give to the god that's over, let's say, childbearing, what this god demands, how well are you going to do when you choose to bear children? Or if you don't appease the god of the sun, well, that would be very bad. And he could burn you up or you could not shine his love upon your crops. Now, in this world, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. This would have been offensive in the early world. See, it's one thing to say, you shall worship me. It's one thing to say that you should offer sacrifices to me. And as a matter of fact, the pagans of the ancient world, they would have had no problem with that. You can even read Bible stories in the Old Testament. You'll find pagans who say, oh, let's worship the God of Israel. Well, they're not worshiping the God of Israel the way that the God of Israel demanded. They're saying, oh, we, there's another God. There's a God of this people. And by the way, backing up, he has shown who he is through his mighty works. So we can't deny that this God exists. If you're not a Christian, uh, one thing that you should know is that the Bible just assumes that God exists. However, the Bible doesn't assume that you assume that God exists. And so what God has done in revealing himself to us is he's shown himself through mighty works. That's why the Ten Commandments begins, I brought you out of Egypt. This is referring back to the mighty works, the ten plagues, these miraculous plagues that came to Egypt, the parting of the sea, the mighty works of God. And then God is saying, you have seen my mighty works. This side of Christ, you have seen my mighty works in the resurrection of the dead of Jesus Christ. Now, let's have a conversation. I am God alone. This would have been offensive. Because what God is saying is that you can no longer live as you once did. There must be a change. You can't have the God of the Son and the God of childbearing as well as me. It's me only or not me at all, God is saying. And guys, this is just as offensive today, isn't it? I mean, as Christians, I think that's why we have, an, in some ways, an offensive religion. It comes across as narrow. It comes across as, as exclusive. Why, why is it? Why does it come across? It's because it's narrow. <laughs> it's because it's exclusive. I mean, we, we, we have to just admit it. 
We have a God who demands worship alone. We cannot say that we have this God as well as many others. We cannot hang on to the Muhammad or Buddha or every other religion that we want to embrace and say, let's have Jesus as well. No, it's Jesus or nothing. We can't then continue living the life that we've been living, worshiping the gods that we've been living, small g. We can't continue to do this and embrace this God. And so not only then is it offensive, but it is also risky. God is calling these ancient people to risk everything. You have been offering these sacrifices to the Son. I want you to risk everything. You've been offering these sacrifices to the God of childbearing. I want you to risk everything. Why is it that we can risk it all? It's because God is the God of all creation. So God is saying, no longer do you need the Son, God. I put the Son in place. I hung it there. I am the God of all creation, and so therefore you can walk away from all of your gods because I am the all in all. Now, I used to gloss over this first commandment. I used to, when I was younger, read it and think, okay... You shall have no other gods before me. And I think, okay, that's for the ancient world. We don't believe in gods today, plural. If anything, we're secularists and we don't believe in any god, right? Right? Wrong. What are our gods? Let's just consider this for a moment. What are our gods? Well, first, we can e easily say stuff. Stuff. We, we tend to worship stuff. Things that you want in your house. Things that you can swipe a credit card for. Makes us feel good for the moment, doesn't it? Man, we could be having the worst day and just go out and swipe our credit card a little bit and our day just got good. At least for the day until we get the bill. Right? Stuff, yes, but... Kent Hughes, a theologian, he was talking about what we worship, and he said, you know, it's not so much that we always just worship stuff. He said, often what we really worship is, uh, are the means by which we get the stuff. So, for instance, we will pray, give us our bread, our, uh, uh, give us today our daily bread. We'll pray that to God. Give us our daily bread today in the Lord's Prayer. Yet, really, what we worship is, is, uh, are the means by which we get the bread. You see? So, for instance, we need bread to survive. If we need bread, we need money. How do we get money? We work a job. What is it that we often are prone to worship? It's the means. It's the job. The, uh, the, the opportunities. The dollar. The hustle. Or maybe our stuff that we want, maybe it's, uh, it's social acceptance. What are the means by which we get social acceptance? The gods of Instagram and the gods of Facebook. And we begin to bow down and worship these gods because they bring us what we want. Or maybe it's the clothes that we wear, a certain label that we need on our sunglasses. What are the gods that we serve? Stuff 
We serve the means by which we get the stuff. What else? Uh, We serve the gods of escape. Just simply escaping for a while. Just mind-numbing activities. This is often why people look at nude images. It's because it provides an escape. This is why we just uh, fall into the god of Netflix. And we worship at this god for hours upon hours because it provides the escape the escape that we need. This is why many are addicted to food. It's not because they're hungry. It's because food provides the escape that they need. Or maybe we worship the God of feelings. It doesn't matter what God says about you. What matters is how you feel about yourself. So if I can, as a pastor, make you feel better about yourself, well, then that's going to appease your God. The problem is, and this is why some people don't like our church, is because I don't try to make you feel better. I do tell you what God thinks of you. Sometimes that doesn't make you feel better in the moment. Ultimately, though, it does. What God thinks of you in Christ is so far beyond any feelings that you can work up about yourself. But for many who bow down to the God of feelings, it doesn't matter what God thinks of us. It matters how we feel about who we are, and our feelings become our God. For some, we worship the God of our own ideas, our own intellect. This is why when someone disagrees with your ideas that you are so angry and defensive and so broken and feel so terrible, it's because they have offended your God. For others, we worship the God of race, as the Bidi Anibwile says, race is an illusion. The pigmentation of our skin. And we believe that we're so different from each other. And so then therefore we separate ourselves. And we seek to align ourselves with people that only look like us. For others, it's the God of class. What economic class you are from. Where you are from. For others, it's the God of gender. Lifting up your own gender over others. Men rule and girls drool. Girls are from Mars. What is, what is, Venus. Whatever. Women rule. We lift up ourselves. And at the end of the day, with all of these examples, really, who are we worshiping? we tend to worship ourselves. It's Romans 1. We lift up the created over the creator and we worship ourselves. Idolatry. God this morning requires a change within you. Not only in these In this first commandment, does God say who we are to worship? But God in His Word says that He is the only one worthy of our worship. You see, as the Scriptures continue, the lunacy of worshiping other gods is clearly shown in that other gods don't even exist. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21 says, And there is no other God beside me. 
not only put me before other gods, there is no other God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 39 says, Know therefore this day, and consider it in thine heart, that the Lord, He is God in heaven, above, and upon the earth beneath. There is none. Everybody say none. There is none other. We are lunatics when we begin to worship other gods because there is no other God. Every other God is under the Creator God. Every other God is the created. And every other God is ultimately like drinking poison. And it will kill us. And we have been bowing down before our gods. We have been bowing down at these shrines that we have built and drinking their poison. And we are sick. And we need to change. God requires a complete change in us this morning. And this will change the way you parent. Christian parents should parent in a very different way than all of the runway moms that we see on TV. For Christian parents are not looking at their children and their children's accomplishments for their own identity. We don't lift up our kids as gods. This will change the way that you love. For no longer will you put upon your spouse, your boyfriend, or your friends what you should only put on God. They are not gods. This will change the way that we think of race relations. For while we are identified by the color of our skin in some ways, we are first identified as worshipers of this God. This will change the way that we think of church membership. For if God calls us to a complete commitment to Him, then we also are called to commitment to God's body, the church. So what is this change? Let me give, you, give it to you in two ways. First, God requires complete allegiance. God requires complete allegiance. He says, look at the text, you shall have no other gods. Now again, in the ancient world, with multiple gods for multiple reasons, this is calling the people to risk everything for him. This is calling us today to risk everything. To say, stop trying to find your identity in all of these things that you've been trying to find your identity in. Stop going to these streams of poison for hope. I want you to risk it all. I want you to walk away from it all. I want you to abandon yourself and fall completely into my grace and see if I catch you. This is what God is asking of you today. John Calvin put it this way. He said, the meaning of the first commandment is this, the Lord will alone be preeminent among His people. And the Lord alone will exercise complete authority over them. What does it mean for God to be preeminent in our lives? What it means is that we give to God everything that is due Him. Not some of what is due Him, and then we keep some of it to ourselves, but we give to God absolutely everything that is due Him. So let's just break it down. What what is due God? I've got three thoughts for you. Number one, worship. All of our worship is due God. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 6 says, Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them and provoke me to anger. Then I will do you no harm. I spoke to a friend recently who visited the Grand Canyon. 
And I, I was there with my parents when I was young, but I hardly remember it. He was there last week. And he said to stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon was absolutely awe-inspiring. To stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon was phenomenal. And in some ways, this overwhelming sense that you can imagine if you were to stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, this overwhelming sense that comes over us is a good explanation of what it means to worship. You see, worship is submitting to the greatness of God. Worship is standing at the mouth of the Grand Canyon of God's glory and falling to your knees in awe. Worship is so much more than music. Whenever we limit worship to music, we say, oh man, the, wor- well, the worship was good today. Oh, you mean the 20 minutes of singing? That was good. But worship is so much more than singing. Worship is singing. Don't get me wrong. But worship is standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon of God's glory and feeling the weight of His glory and falling to our knees in awe of who He is. Worship is demonstrating the awe and fear of God through Word, through being under the Word, through listening to the Word, through reading the Word, through posture at times, through song, through deed, through actions. And sometimes it is just simply through trying to catch our breath as we, as we gaze upon and meditate upon His awesomeness. We are to worship personally. One of the greatest pastors, I believe, of all time said that the secret to his success was his personal times of worship. His personal times of worship every day. We must worship corporately. That means together, which we do every Sunday. It was a visiting a minister from another country where there's persecution. He visited the United States and he, he remarked about his visit to the United States by saying it shocks him that on a sunny day that Christians in the United States will sometimes opt for a picnic in the park as opposed to coming together and worshiping with God's people. How trivial that is. We, we, we come together on a regular basis to worship, to stand at this precipice of God's glory and to fall on our knees before Him. And we are to give God all of our worship. Every bit of it is due Him. Submission under the greatness of any other than is to rob God of what is due Him. Secondly, what is due God? Our trust. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. A little bit of your heart? Thank you, Tony. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Every bit of it. When a child is struck with cancer, and you're told that there's only three months left of life, the question of who you trust is not a question that you can just begin to ask yourself. Do you trust God in every aspect of life? Trusting God alone means means that we understand that His wisdom is far greater than our own. Trusting God alone says that when I'm confused about who I am, 
I'm confused about my own gender, or I'm confused about my own identity, or I'm confused about how I should relate to this person, or I'm confused about what it means to love. When I'm confused about who I am, I trust God's wisdom instead of my own. Trusting in God alone means that we trust His might, that God is able. When I am not able, God is able. He is able to provide. Look, I know that sometimes we, we, we want to focus on the fact that there is suffering in life, but the reality is this. Also, God does provide for us in life, does He not? He does bring us our daily bread. Amen. He is able to provide. God is able to keep you from stumbling. He is able to keep you from sinning. He is able to present you one day holy and blameless and without wrinkle. Do you trust Him completely? Thirdly, what is due God? Our service is due God. All of our service. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 35 says, Do not fear other gods. Do not bow down to other gods and do not serve other gods. Whenever I speak to friends that are in the military, I'm reminded of what it means to serve. Because military friends always use the language of service. Everything they do, even if they're sleeping, is an act of service. Have you ever noticed that? And this is what it means to be a Christian. We serve God with all of who we are. Every opportunity in life. See, sometimes we have this false dichotomy of saying, well, if I really want to serve God, then I need to be a pastor. Or I need to be working for a church. No, no, no. Every aspect of who God has called you to be is an opportunity to serve Him. Having children is an opportunity to serve God. Being single and childless is an opportunity to serve God. Working a job and going to a boss and reminding yourself that submitting under that boss, you're not actually serving that man. But this working this job is an opportunity to serve God and to do well, to do all things for His glory. Being a neighbor is an opportunity to serve God. God. We are to give God every bit of who we are and we are to serve Him completely at every turn in life. Friends, God requires complete allegiance. And as Christians, we often quickly acknowledge this with our lips. But the problem is, is our lives often look entirely different. I heard recently that 70% of Americans claim to follow the first commandment. Seven out of ten Americans say, I follow the first commandment. Yet, you might remember my, what I said last week, half of Americans don't know the, uh, can't name five of the ten commandments. So go figure. In churches, we often would read this and we'd say, yeah, I don't have any other gods. I'm not putting other gods before him. Yes, I'm worshiping God alone. Well, like we sang this song, and how many of us felt like hypocrites when we were singing it? You are God alone. Yeah, friends, when we, when we examine our lives, we look at the way that we socialize. We begin to discover that while we talk about socializing with those that are unlovely and those that are hard to love, that we ignore them and run from them. 
when we look at our own purity, we discover that often we are, we are sexing and getting tipsy like the world around us. We talk about having a genuine care for the poor and the mar- marginalized. Yet you are ignoring that opportunity to develop a relationship with a single mom from generational poverty with a lot of needs and six kids. We talk about prayer and how we want to pray. Yet when it comes to actually gathering for prayer, we have other things to do. We talk about community and our ideas of community and how we should develop community. But when it means actually leaving the comfort of our own house and walking through the doors of another house and having to actually interact with flesh and blood people, well, that's another story. You see, when we examine our lives, we discover that we don't actually, we don't actually obey the first commandment very well, do we? God requires complete allegiance. Secondly, I'm going to close with this, God requires complete faithfulness. Look at these last lines, he said, or the, last, the last two words. He says, you shall have no other gods. What are the next two words there? Before me. In the Hebrew, the word literally means before face, before my face. You shall have no other gods in front of my face. This brings to mind the concept and the idea of committing adultery in front of your spouse. Nothing would destroy the wife more than if the husband chooses to, in front of her own face, commit adultery with his lover. Nothing would say to his wife, I hate you more. Do not have any other gods before my face. We may be able to pull the wool over human spouses and commit adultery behind their backs for years. But we cannot pull the wool over the eyes of God. Any flirtation with another God is committing adultery before the face of God. And by the way, what wife would ever say, oh, you can, you can have her on the side as long as you love me more. As long as, as long as you come home to me, then you can... What wife? Wives, raise your hand if you would say that about your husband. Yet we think that way about God. God and then some hanging on to our other little mini-gods, and then some. God plus another God. God says, I will have it no other way. You will not flirt with another, me alone, complete faithfulness. How can any one of us stand before God without a Savior? Don't you see, friends, that you need a Savior this morning? 
Don't you see this is the first use of the law that the law comes and crushes you and exposes your sin and shows you that you need a Savior? How can you stand before God while you have been committing adultery before His face for your entire life? How can you stand before Him and expect to enter into His presence and into His glory and into His love where there is only purity and only holiness and only perfection? How can we do it without a Savior? You see, Jesus lived the life, the one life of complete obedience to the first commandment. His righteousness then is given to all who believe in Him. God says, I will look at My Son and His righteousness, and I will give His righteousness to you. I will deposit His obedience into your account, and I will account it as your own righteousness. And as Jesus died on the cross, He died for all of our rebellion, for all of our adultery against God. Listen to these words of grace in Psalm chapter 103, verses 10 through 12. He says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Let's all say amen to that. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions to us. God has come to us, and God has rescued adulterers. God has rescued sinners who have broken the first commandment. And God in Christ has, says, has said, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus this morning. Jesus is your only hope in life and in death. Come to Him this morning. You see Him on the cross, hanging there, dying for your sins, His side open for you, blood flowing out, the blood of forgiveness. Flee to Him. Run to Him. Embrace Him in all of His glory, in all of His salvation, for that is your hope. Look at the last word in this verse. Me. This is the grace in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. What God is saying is that you can have me. The great I am, the creator of the world. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't you see that God this morning is saying, you can have me. This reminds me of one of my favorite stories, the story of Hosea. In chapter 4 in Hosea, after Hosea rescues his adulterous wife from a life of prostitution, he brings her to his own home. And there Hosea looks at her and he says, you are mine. You shall have no other men. And I am yours. What grace. What grace. What a gift Hosea gave his wife. And what a gift God is giving you this morning. I am yours. You shall have me. The old letter of the law kind of obedience would look at this first commandment and say, oh, that, see, God is like a dictator. He's such a demanding God. He's so exclusive. He's so narrow. And He demands that we, that we worship Him alone. And if we don't, we're gonna, He's going to send us into hell, etc., etc. It's the dictatorship sort of, I, I guess I'll obey then. I guess I'll make Him my only God because I don't want to be on His bad side. That's the old letter of the law kind of obedience. That's not what God calls us to. But it's rather like drinking fresh water instead of poison. 
a table is set before you. And on the table are hundreds of cups. And there's a glass of fresh water. And in every other cup is poison. What God is saying is, is that you shall not drink of any of these other cups. But you shall only drink of me. Have you been drinking the arsenic? Have you been bowing down before and serving other gods? And have you found that they have not helped you? They have only left you in despair. They have only left you dissatisfied. God will satisfy you this morning. Look to Christ. Come to Him. He requires a complete change. And here's the beautiful thing about God is He gives you the change that He requires. Call upon His name right now and God will change your heart. Let's drink only from the fresh waters of God's love. Let's have no other gods before His face. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as You have exposed in my own heart, and I hope that You have exposed in the hearts of others various gods that we have been clinging to, that You would show us the lie that they are not gods at all, that they cannot deliver, that they cannot satisfy. God, as you have presented yourself before us in Jesus Christ, I pray that there will be no one in this room that does not walk out of here without repenting and turning away from their old gods and clinging Christ alone. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.